0: You've got the Amazon River. You've got the Union of the Waters. You've got the pink dolphins. You've got the Romao Access. You know, Iquitos is the the, the Pacaya Samiria Reserve is a seasonally flooded forest of two million acres, of which eighty percent is underwater at any given time, and you can only access it by water. And so that's a nice natural barrier to not make it a mass tourism destination.
1: Hi, everyone. I'm Liz Kasky. As a travel curator, cook, wine aficionado, and design lover here in South America, I've always been fascinated by the stories of how creatives pursue their dreams. What's the energy behind a great chef and restaurant? How is that tasty cheese made? Why does this wine speak to me? What was the inspiration for that hotel? Or simply appreciating the artistry of an old world weaving with contemporary design. I'm constantly searching for local flavors and am passionate about sharing them. Welcome to In Search of Flavor, a podcast that explores the experiences, ideas, and stories behind the fascinating trailblazers in the region and the beautiful projects they birth. So pour yourself a glass of wine, dial into your wanderlust, and get ready to be inspired. Have you ever had one of those moments where you get an intuitive hit, you know, a nudge that says, go here, do this, build this? How many people actually listen to those inklings and then run with them to make them a reality? Today, I want to introduce you to Francesco Galli-Sugaro, the founder of Aqua Expeditions, who did just that and has become a tour de force in small cruise expeditions. Following his own intuition and a prowess for business, he charted into unexplored territory in the Peruvian Amazon to build South America's first luxury river cruise, Besides navigating, quite literally, a jungle of logistical challenges, he built Aqua from the shipyard up to achieve his unique vision of a water safari, where his taste is infused into every single detail of the guest experience, creating a perfect balance of authenticity and luxury. Today, we are going to set sail and penetrate one of the most virgin corners of Peru and South America with a man who perhaps embodies the adventurous spirit of a modern-day Fitzcarraldo. Vamos! Vamos! let's just start right here about your background because you have a very interesting upbringing you're half american and half italian you lived all over the world between europe and the u.s and beyond so give us a little background on you know where you grew up how you grew up and how that shaped your path to do what you do today
0: Correct. Uh, if you think I'm confused, you can imagine what my kids feel like. Um, but yes, it's been definitely uh, jumping around sixteen countries for the last what forty-seven uh, years of my life. The last eight now have um, had the pleasure of calling Singapore home, and then we've, we've been very pleased. But obviously, prior to that, and what gave sort of life to Aqua Expeditions, were well, my years in South America. And whilst my upbringing in Europe and the Middle East and the U.S. and then my college days in the U.S. and then private equity, I think where I really cut my teeth into uh, this space was my passion for South America and starting in Ecuador and then Peru and then where I continue, obviously, to run a business no one in my family has that background so it's not as if I come from a shipping background or from a uh, you know travel and tourism background i think i just grew up uh, loving travel like all of us do and was blessed enough early on to realize what i was hopefully i think cut out for and and kind of took uh, um you know my appetite for risk and put everything into uh, this business 14 years ago and here we are today you know looking forward to getting up every day and getting back to work. So it's been, it's been a, an amazing ride and I continue to have a lot of passion for
1: it. When you first started working in South America, you said you were in the Galapagos. How did you arrive there and what were you doing? Because that was your first
0: reaction with
1: foray into what yachting and, and, and small luxury cruises were.
0: Correct. I mean, what an amazing place to, I guess, uh, looking back, what an amazing place to you really cut your teeth into expedition cruising, uh, a destination like Galapagos and a sort of living laboratory of evolution, right? Um, I obviously stumbled upon uh, Ecuador because at the time, so I went to school in Boston, I graduated, I met my girlfriend, my wife now there. Then we graduated, went to work in New York, then took a year off, backpacked around the world, obviously did a large part of that, traveling all of through South America, backpacking from, you know, basically. La all the way down to um, to Peru and then um, then took a stint over in London and then while we were in London we got engaged we got married in Quito Ecuador and while I was in Quito Ecuador I started looking around for job opportunities. I said if we're gonna go into take a leap of faith and go somewhere else in the world let's do this early on in our careers. And I went to Ecuador, got married there. And the day of my wedding, uh, earlier in that morning, I started interviewing. I was interviewing for a job. And that particular interview there led to an opportunity to work with a small, locally based private equity group that had invested in the Galapagos. And they sort of said, OK, who wants to run this? And I had the language. I had, you know, I had the four languages. I had the travel experience, and I said, "Okay, I'll give it a shot." It was my first kind of uh, opportunity to run a business like that on all sales and marketing, and I fell in love with it. Uh, we had two small ships: a forty-eight passenger and an eight-cabin cruiser. Loved it, and I ran that for six years. And then I had the opportunity to look at the operational, look at the sales and marketing, and kind of uh, it was it was a no-brainer. You know, and then that led uh, to having our three kids born there, lived there for ten years, and then in two thousand seven said, "Okay, let's call it uh, quits and do exactly the same, but just work for myself." and And that was a life and birth of Aqua Expeditions in two
1: thousand and eight. But when you were in the Equ- in, in Ecuador, this is what I'm interested in 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 knowing. You're obviously a very keen businessman and you're, you know, surveying what's happening in the early 2000s in South America. And I think you get intuitive hits what's coming or where you can go. What were you observing in Ecuador in a what people were, you know, wanting when they were traveling in these pristine natural destinations? And two, how did that sort of connect to Peruvian Amazon? Because they're Very different types of cruises. One's ocean and one's river.
0: I'll tell you exactly what was going in the back of my mind. I rented a house in Mancora in the border between Ecuador and Peru. I was there for the holidays. And this was 2005, 2006. And I looked at the election process what's going on in Peru and what's going on in Ecuador. And I, I didn't have a, a great feel about what was coming in Ecuador during uh, the coming years. And I saw double-digit growth in the GDP of Peru. And I thought, wow, this country is really, you know, gangbusters, growing double-digit. The culinary scene is going off the charts. My, You know, uh, Orient Express at the time was opening up multiple properties outside of Italy, Belmont today, Orient Express at the time. Peru had the biggest number of Belmont properties in the world outside of Italy Had five, six properties that they had. So they were positioning Peru at the top end of this yearly soft adventure, world class uh, adventure destination. And whilst Galapagos was doing always well, I had this inkling that I thought, okay, you know what, if we're going to take another leap of faith, I was basically sitting in Mancora in this villa that I had rented on the beach, a beautiful remote kind of little surfer town on the border there. And I was comparing El Comercio, which is a local Peruvian newspaper and the local, you get both dailies right there. And I was like, wait a second, I'm looking at the headlines. I was like, what's to come and what's happening in Peru? And I said, this is the time. And I started literally building my business plan there. And whilst we've... Got you know an inkling as far as an adventure component, and my appetite for risk is good. I also make financial sound financial decisions, a solid financial sense, and my business plan is core at that at that ability to make those decisions. And I started building, and I thought, wow, we have something. Machu Picchu and Galapagos are big, heavy. You know, they're the the door openers to the region, at, at least in the Andean region, and those sell like hotcakes. But, you know, no one's heard of the Amazon. I mean, people have heard of the Amazon, but they never connoted it as a luxury destination. When you think of the Amazon, you think of heat and bugs. Most of our guests think, no, no, that's, that's not for me. I think of, you know, banana boats and hammocks on the back of large ferries going up between Manaus and Iquitos. But to actually position the Amazon as a luxury destination, both from the culinary scene, from the design scene, from the soft adventure, that hadn't been done properly well. And how could I complement that with Machu Picchu, which is, you know, the big door opener to Peru? So I started building that and that concept. And and lo and behold, you know, it was well received. So that was my mindset. I, I went back to Quito, literally resigned, sold our house and moved family and everybody to, uh, to uh, Lima.
1: So when you were thinking about what this project in the Amazon was going to be, the Amazon in Peru, just so we can frame this for people listening, has a lot of different gateways within Peru. And Iquitos is probably the most difficult gateway because it's only accessible by air or a very long barge ride from Lima, like eight days or something to get there. So. You were obviously looking and, and taking your cruise experience, I imagine, from that operational standpoint, and 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 really penetrating the Amazon in a much deeper way than you could in the, the other places in you know outside of Cusco and and the southern correct gateways. I mean, you
0: know, and, and not only within Peru. I mean, obviously, the Amazon is accessible through multiple countries in South America. I could have done. I could have done the Ecuadorian Amazon, I could have done the Colombian Amazon, I could have done the Brazilian Amazon, and I could have done the Peruvian Amazon. Why did I choose Peru? Obviously, as you said, Iquitos, and many people may not know, but Iquitos is the biggest city in the world disconnected by roads. And it's also the furthest inland seaport of the world. Okay, now, so you can imagine the logistics of actually not only getting our guests there, which is today very easy because it's an hour and 20 minute flight from Lima, direct flight, land, brand new airbuses. So all that is easy. But logistically to build a ship there is, you know, it's a modern day Fitzcarraldo adventure because that pure logistics behind that is, you know, something that uh, I didn't know what I was faced with, but I kind of signed up for it. And so, but why the Proving Amazon? I think the key is, like I said, the Proving Amazon and all the Amazons can be accessed by different access points. Iquitos is an incredible kind of diamond in the rough. It's stuck in, in time from the old rubber, beautiful colonial homes from the Spanish and Portuguese influence. But I think what I loved about it, it's a jumping off point to the Amazon. It's also the Amazon and the Peruvian Amazon there out of Iquitos is very narrow. So no bigger ships than ours can go where we go. And there's a few other ships and some of them are, are very cute and very nice as well. We obviously position ourselves at the top end of the market, and but it, it isn't. By any means a mass tourism destinations because it's just by nature limiting geographically. And and that's where that that's where we want to access the, the Peruvian Amazon, it's a perfect complement with Machu Picchu. So now even during regular times, now there's Machu Picchu flights, Cusco to Iquitos Direct, twice a week. So it's a perfectly and you can now sell Peru, you always have been in the last few years, as a one product destination. And then sell Galapagos as another destination. I think that's key today because you want to do Peru well. You've got the Andes, you've got the coast, you've got the Amazon, you've got the culinary scene, you've got all that. And then do Galapagos and the Ecuadorian Andes and all that as a separate trip. And that's kind of been what we have been able to position our product and the country as a as a one-stop shop for all sorts of soft adventures. And Iquitos was another challenge of the actual building, and I can walk you through
1: that history yeah no let's we'll get into that before we jump ahead to that i you know i'm interested just so everybody listening knows aqua now is besides the amazon has is also in indonesia and uh the mekong river in asia which actually goes through several countries when you got this inkling to to move into this project did you have in your head that this was the beginning of something bigger? Was the Amazon the gateway, or did that take shape as no, you were it, in the doing of the of the Amazon
0: piece? No, I think I was. I think I've always been blessed with the ability that once I kind of ventured into this, I had an ability to uh, visualize what I wanted to build. And, and I think if you take a take a step back today, you looked at Aqua Expeditions. A by the mere name of it a water-based expeditions I think that connotes an understanding that it doesn't have to be river it can be coastal as well Uh, our guests as long as we continue continue delivering on unique wildlife experiences world-class dining experience all within a contemporary design of our ships because we build design build own and operate our ships so sometimes if I go buy ships I mean one particular one I bought and I'll explain that reasoning why our latest one the aqua blue um but when, when you take a step back and you have this common denominator with these beautifully crafted floor-to-ceiling modern contemporary design river cruisers, then you can put them basically in all these parts of the world. And so Machu Picchu is a draw to South America, at least for Peru, and the Amazon is an iconic river, and, and it's usually paired up with Machu Picchu. But then looking at Angkor Wat and, and uh, Siem Reap, you've got another world Heritage site, which is Angkor Wat in Cambodia, and then the Mekong River that flows between several countries we only do the Vietnamese and Cambodian section. And so we can have this repeat re- revenue as far as past guests. If I've built a loyalty, you know, these trips are once in a lifetime trips. It's not as if this is a traditionally, you know, uh, high repeat business. We'll get a family now, and then a few years later, we'll come, we'll get maybe the same family with their grandkids. But traditionally, if you've done the Amazon, you wanna do the Mekong. If you've done the Mekong, then you wanna do coastal cruising as long as I continue delivering. So that was the mindset. And that's why I moved out to Asia. Um, to grow the business eight years ago here with our two
1: ships here. Geographically in the Amazon, when guests arrive in Iquitos, there's two points that I remember boarding. One was in the actual port of Iquitos and then Nauta, which is a little further South. But I think w- I was not prepared at least that you don't spend that much time on the actual Amazon. It's, it's, it's cruising, but then there's a lot of penetration of the forests on these skiffs and, um, and, and most of the time, correct me if I'm wrong, is spent in this reserve that really is completely off the grid. I mean, there was no cell signal. You're completely forced to disconnect and be with nature.
0: <laughs> correct. You, you got it. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So we've got our feeder city, which is Nauta, which basically allows for the shorter program. The people that are, you know, a typical expedition with us is, 700, is, is seven nights, 500 kilometers. So we cover a large, uh, large area. And obviously, as wildlife goes, it's about Murphy's Law. You can go just like a game drive. You can go up and down the same track and not see anything. And then on the way back to your lodge, boom, you know, jaguar hits or panther hits or whatever it is. And the same thing is in wildlife. You've got world-class guides that are – there are your storytellers, but also your your uh, your bird watchers, right? They're the ones that are pinpointing all the sloths, the howler monkeys, the macaws, the piranha fishing activities. So the vessel acts as your floating base camp, and that's the uh, Ari Amazon or the Aquanera. Are two ships there? I know. Well, I'll tell you about the Aquanera coming up as well. So you've got these floating base camps that are navigating on the main rivers, the Amazon, the Ucayali, and the Maranon, and then you've got our floating sort of speed boats, our tenders, our skiffs, as you call them, which are considering. Let's say the equivalent of your floating Jeeps. And they're the ones that we do in groups of eight guests or four couples per guide, world-class naturalists that go into the Blackwater tributaries, which are like the smaller little um, little um, finger, sort of fingerings of the Amazon that go into this flooded forest which I guess the best way to, to uh, describe it is a mixture of Jurassic Park meets Garden of Eden. It was incredible. That's what made me fall in love. This kind of what they call the Pacaya Samiria. They also call it the mirrored forest. Because of the blackwater lagoons, you can basically look and you see the perfect reflection of the canopy on the river's edge. You can flip pictures uh, on the on their, you know, 180 degrees and it's, you, you won't detect what's, what's up or down. And that beauty of the seasonally flooded forest, teeming with wildlife, teeming with bird life, and only accessible to what? Maybe if we're lucky, max fifteen thousand tourists a year. um, Then that—that's what provides the setting for these wildlife, nature-focused expeditions that are right on par with African safaris. It's just instead of our big five, we have our little five.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it was a water. I mean, when people asked when we were doing, I, I compared it to a water safari. Yeah. And, and, and you have your expeditions in the morning, which was a lot of bird life. And then I want to talk just a bit because this probably was one of the most cool travel experiences I've had was the night expedition that we did at Aqua. Cause I make jokes that it was like channeling my inner Indiana Jones, but just to preface this, I mean, you leave at late afternoon and you have sunset in this beautiful lagoon after navigating for a while on these Tributaries with champagne and yummy snacks, and then the symphony of the the selva, the, the jungle came alive, and I just was kind of like, "What the hell have we gotten into, and how are we getting out of here?" So <laughs> I don't know if you want to keep telling. It's a yeah. show, though, but it's not it's not a fake show. I mean, there's like bats and spiders, and they're grabbing caimans out of the water. And- I
0: just got goosebumps because I'm dying to get back there. Part of the adventures is seeing the wildlife. You know the the the, the the game reserves comes alive at night. Obviously it's, you know, be seen or be eaten, right? That's the rule of the jungle. <laughs> so if you're, if, if the, 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 activities really flourish at night, but how do you do that in a safe environment where well, you put everybody in our tenders, you give everybody searchlights on, uh, you know, reading those the searchlights on the top of their head, you give our guides, you give everybody ponchos if needed, but usually when it rains on the Amazon, people have this connotation. It says, you know, it's when's the rainy season and it rains any day of the year, but, Punctually it rains right after lunch and at night, late at night. So our excursions are hardly ever hampered by the, by, the, by the weather. You go out, you get the four tenders all in line, you go down the Blackwater tributaries, our guides can navigate these, these uh, parts of the world with their eyes closed and so can our skiff pilots. You get You give them a searchlight, you wait, as you said, after our sunset, sundown, a surprise kind of pisco sours in hand and sacha inchi uh, nuts from the Amazon and carambola and all these sort of uh, super fruits. And then uh, you start looking for wildlife at night. And yes, Cayman, the educational component is highly important of this part of the world. We want to try and educate our guests about all the, uh, all the bird life, all the marine life, all the uh, medicinal plants. And, and yeah, and some of the smaller as well, the creeper crawlers, right, that don't make it onto our brochure because whilst they're part of the adventure, they don't help sell that much. But that's part of the adventure. And then you come back to your sort of floating base camp, the aqua on the horizon. They're all lit up and, and the adventures continue on board until the next morning. So it's a beautiful part of the, the trip and the, the excursions. Basically, a typical day is about three hours in the morning uh, and mostly water-based expeditions because that's when you feel the breeze. You navigate this kind of Venice of the, of the Amazon and you've got the breeze against you. It's comfortable. And and then you do treks some hours, either two or three times a week. You can choose to do so these power hikes through the jungle where you see the smaller medicinal plants and the insects. But the majority of the excursions are water based, so very very comfortable uh, while you navigate up and down the Amazon and through it to this reserve. No,
1: no, it was um, not at all buggy, much less than I ever would have imagined. And the one thing I really want to know is where in the aqua, you know, expeditions guide training do you teach these, you know, naturalist guides to grab these caimans out of the water with their hands? Guys, just so you know, we progressively had three, we went from a baby caiman to like a at least like three foot came in that they would identify them with these spotlights with their eyes and grab them into the boat. And so they were just this wealth of local yeah, knowledge I- and stories. It was so wonderful because they grew up in the rainforest. They were locals and and they had that that, that confidence, but they gave us such an interesting peek into the culture that I, I don't feel that you always get in some destinations because they were always bringing people in from other places. And this was very...
0: Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I, it, it gave a very different feel to it.
0: You, you, you nailed it. Obviously, yes, they're all locally uh, raised, many of them from villages in the region, which they are self-taught. They taught themselves English. They taught themselves, obviously, the the passion that they have for uh you know, biodiversity. Obviously we have a resident, a marine biologist uh, with, that works with us, that trains them. Then we work very close with the park ranger groups of the Pacaya Samira National Park because they have a group of ranger stations that also we work in combination with them. So the educational component of also going and doing caiman excursions at night, we, you hold them for less than a certain amount of minutes because another not, their stress level gets up too high and you have to put them back slowly back into the water. So there isn't a whole educational component to that. The same way we work with the pie chair rehabilitation project, the same way we work with the Tarekaya, the turtle program, the same way we work with many programs on the ground with the local, with the Cobia the Manatee Rescue Center. So we work with them in order to A, educate our guests, but also our guides, our storytellers, they are our conduits into this part of the world and seeing their world through their eyes and and i think i've got an incredible group of guides that i personally vet and uh, travel with before they can make it into the aqua family and for which they only work with us you know we don't take on freelancers they only embody the ethos of aqua
1: they were they were fantastic and one of the things just to segue into you know that they're locals from these villages so one of the highlights too on your on on these expeditions is that you actually get to go into villages and see how people live and and it was very humbling i think in some ways to be in a part of the world that has no sense of passage of time in some way in the sense of like, you're off the grid, sure, they have a, you know, a motor on the back of their, you know, wooden dugout canoes, but they're living very, in a very primitive fashion. And that was really fascinating to meet these families and the children. And, and Aqua does so much to help these communities stay connected with doctors and first aid and, and, and even taking, you know, these groups in that will bring some money to their, their small economies. I mean, maybe we can touch on a little bit how, you know, that has become a, a driving force too, you know, giving back and doing good with the people in the region.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. It's an important component of everything we do. Remember, we're considered just visitors into what they uh, believe and rightly believe is their backyard, right? So while we're entering a nature wildlife protected nature reserve, and the Pacaya Semita is the biggest nature reserve in Peru, but actually with the least number of travelers into it, because of its remoteness, remember, you can only get there by riverboat, there's no lodges in the reserve, there's lodges on the buffer zone outside the reserve. But within the reserve, there are communities that are living off of fishing and farming And they're allowed to go into the reserve for subsistence farming and fishing. And we work throughout the year with about 14 communities. And I mention 14 because on every given itinerary based on water levels, or speeds of navigation, we don't go you know, traditionally Tuesday morning to X village Friday afternoon. We kind of see how the navigation goes and we don't want to create this dependency on purpose because they're there to do their lifestyle based on their traditional means. But if we happen to come across and the itinerary works and we'll go into Puerto Miguel, we'll go into Puerto Miguel because the weather permitting, the navigation has either been uh, slowed down or faster than we expected. And we'll go there. Unexpected. On, on, uh, on, um, kind of unplanned, and it's kind of a walk into the daily life of the local community, and we work with them. Yes, our paramedics come, all our ships have, um, you know, health and safety officers that come, and they're there to take care of our guests, but also provide assistance to local communities. So we managed to have this kind of fine balance of providing assistance without creating dependency. And, and also educating them all, all on all sorts of sustainability initiatives that we can. But I think the beauty of it is that because it's remote, because access to Iquitos uh, has hampered kind of development to a certain degree, it's still kind of this time bubble there. Even Iquitos, I mean, having have to Iquitos for 14 years now. I don't see much progress and much development in Iquitos. It's not as if you have supermarkets, you have high rises. This is still tuk-tuk kind of led commerce. Markets, the Belen floating market, one of the most incredible floating markets in the world, not for the faint of heart also, but still an incredible market. I think that's the beauty of Iquitos, that progress comes to Iquitos for the people to a a certain degree, but not as much as you'd expect. And I don't see a big change in the last 15 years. And the same thing happens in the last, in the development of the communities there are happily there. If they've got a medical post, if they've got a classroom and they've got a generator that gives them access to some solar power or diesel power generator, Generator from for radio use or to to uh, to communicate for what's so, whatever sort of emergency they're content and they're happy and we don't want to disrupt that and especially now even now with trips resuming at the end of December on the Amazon we're even more mindful of making sure that we you know protect them as much as our guests in, in interaction and kind of taking slow steps into reengaging or being mindful of of all possible concerns. Huh?
1: And you know, just to talk a little bit, because we haven't gotten into the vessels themselves and life on board, which I, I think is worth a, a stop or few. Can we talk about going back to, you know, when these boat when the first boat, Aqua, was built, you've been involved in the design and every single part of the fabrication of each vessel, which they're all very unique. Can we talk a little bit about what goes into, you know, building a boat? How did you arrive to the design, which is very unique? What is the difference in a river boat and an ocean boat? From your design standpoint and then i want to talk about this crazy journey that the aquanera just finished
0: prior to aqua i always saw that river cruisers had this uh, to a certain degree a a connotation of being slightly less active they were more european waterways and so to push this river cruising element to an adventure component but also to the luxury component and match that with world-class dining we'll go into that with the peruvian scene obviously yes, for sure in the last 10 years um, I had to bring all those elements together. And so, yes, I had the contacts with the Peruvian Navy shipyard because I just had them because our boats in Galapagos were being serviced in Callao, in Lima, by the Peruvian Navy, mm. even though they, instead of Ecuador, they would come to Lima. I had that contact. They had a shipyard in Iquitos because they were servicing their Marine, uh, their their Navy ships for the borders because Iquitos is close to the borders of other countries in South America and in, in the North there. So I had that contact. Then I was introduced to Jordi Pooch, which is one of the top interior designers and architects in Peru for both hotels, restaurants, and that hospitality space. And I had a concept of I wanted the the the, the suites to the, to determine the design of the ship rather than not this is a space, how can I maximize how many cabins I can put in it. So I said I want you know 25 to 30 square meter suites with floor glass windows and then let's build a ship around it. And can I I I put everything ship design on its head. And then I had this Navy ship Navy yard build a hull and superstructure, Jordi build the designs, and then I went to Pedro Miguel, our executive chef and consulting chef, and I said I can now put it all together with a world-class uh, pairing of fine, you know, Peruvian uh, kind of from Amazon to table. And 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 then I had to build it in Peru, in Iquitos, and Iquitos, just the steel plates. Like you said, getting to Iquitos, at least for my aspect, was a, a several days' drive from Nima to Pucalpa. Then Pucallpa, you get on a barge, and it's five to seven days downriver, and barges everything, lampshades, glass windows, steel plates, um, everything had to be shipped down to Iquitos to then assemble it there. And that took – our first ship took eight months. Our second one took 11 months and and so forth. Basically, they all take about a year, which is incredible. That's really very
1: awesome. fast, though, considering the amount of, of details and – all the things that have to go into well, that.
0: I, I move to the yard, and I personally sit there. And uh, whilst I have an incredible team, by no means is this a solo job. It does require a good amount of uh, whip cracking. The pieces moving, right? Not not the people, but it's logistics. It's it's a masters in logistics. That's what it is.
1: And when you 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 have two ships in the in the Amazon, so how you know what is your evolution of when you go from one ship to the next, obviously, you know, hotels and anything has an evolution in concept. How did you see Aqua evolving from your first ship to Adia? And well, then obviously you went to the Mekong after that, but you've had, you know, you've had progressively more experience going through this. I mean, how do you personally see your taste, what you want to give your guests? What are you looking for in the design now? Because it's, you know, 13 years is long enough That changes.
0: It does change. I think. I would like to think that luckily we got it right up from the bat at the beginning uh, from the concept there. But yes, obviously, over the last years, as we've been building more ships and I moved physically out to every yard to build, except for the Aquanera, which I haven't I've had to do remotely, but with an incredible team in Ho Chi Minh. Um, but I think the concept was we want people to get on, embark on our ships and feel that they've gotten onto a private yacht without having to foot the bill of a private yacht. Right. And so I think that's the key element. These are ca- these are cruisers. The <laughs> Our our ships don't go minimum 15 cabin, maximum 20. To have an embark on the ship and feel like you've seen that every single element of decor has been placed there for a purpose, both from uh, uh, getting the sense of place, so Peruvian artifacts uh, um, or Asian artifacts or Eastern Indonesian artifacts, all those elements have to be purchased and those are mostly done by my wife and our interior design team and myself, where we scout the world over and we're talking about auction houses in new york to go buy fine prints original prints of russell wallace uh, birds of paradise to put in indonesia and in our cruiser there or buying artifacts in peru that uh, that, that decorate uh, the elements of the walls of the cabins of the dining room or having shishibo pottery from the amazon local uh, tribes there make us all the plateware for some of our special dining evenings on board so that that sense of place is, in, is important while still maintaining this modern contemporary look and feel the ships with all world-class amenities and striking that balance takes a lot of work remember each project of ours is a labor of love about three years from scouting the destination which i personally do i scouted the amazon up and down in order to build our itinerary i don't just go in there and say okay we'll just bring a newer ship and copy everybody's itinerary no we go in we secure the destination we scout it then design the ship then build a ship and at the same time market it and sell it. So that entire process allows us to do one ship every three years, and um, so we don't bite off more than we can, you know, chew.
1: The the ships though they all are very unique, yet. They're like children that belong to the same parents. So, I mean, there is a shared aqua-ness, if we can call it that, among them. And and that must be intentional because if you said you're having repeat clients that maybe know you from Peru, but then they're in Indonesia, people love that. Because if you think about the Four Seasons, even though they have lots of destinations, people look for a certain level of service, of uh hospitality and and they fall in love with brands and and you must have that in your mind as you're you know choosing these destinations how you can create consistency across them
0: yeah, we do. And we have to have that consistency, because especially if we want to continuously deliver on that guest experience and, you know, not over promise and under deliver. And I think we've done that because our repeat business is growing and growing. Now we've got, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 past guests with us. And they continuously are starting to, uh, the pressure comes from them, actually, you know, we've got two ships, now we've got three destinations, now we've got four ships and three destinations. But that pressure comes from them to continuously grow the business. But I told the whole oh, wait guys 3 years to build own and operate our ship and you know there's so much I can do so without um, without overstepping and biting off more than I can chew I have to stay true to that but continuously deliver on the guest experience which they there there's a, a lot of demand for this small ship cruising, even now into these remote wildlife sanctuaries where people want to go in small groups, they want to go, uh, they want to disconnect, they want to have longer stays, they don't want to hop around every one night, change hotel. Um, so Peru obviously offers that. You can stay, instead of four nights, they can stay seven nights and do a whole wildlife uh, experience there or in Indonesia on the Mekong. So I think we'll continue delivering on that. And uh, and time will tell how we'll fare. So
1: let's talk about this journey on Aquanera from Vietnam to Peru, because it's very curious. First of all, I mean, this is a riverboat that has to cross the ocean to go up the Amazon through Brazil. So maybe you can, you know, talk, talk about the itinerary and why you chose the route you did to get to its new home.
0: Yeah, so little did I know that, um, obviously, I knew I was signing up for an incredible adventure, something that's probably never been done before. So over the last eight years, we built relationships with incredible yards, with incredible suppliers in Asia. And whilst we built the Adi Amazon Iquitos, and I was very happy with it, and she operates very well there. She's been there now. This year will be her 10th year. Sorry, next year will be her 10th year. And she operates, well, we need more beds on the river just because the demand was there and we wanted to make sure that we could attend to it. And and so I decided to build the Aquanera and the Aquanera, Uh, based on the blackwater lagoons in the Amazon. And kind of you can see that the Italian in me comes out in our names of our ships. But Taquanera connotes obviously that blackwater lagoon feel of the the wildlife uh, and the rainforest there. We built it in Ho Chi Minh because I had good relationships. We had very good quality suppliers there. But then obviously, yes, like you said, these are five foot... um, draft uh, river cruisers. These are not seaworthy um, vessels. So it's not as I can deliver it, to build it there, take delivery, and then ship it to South America. I had to physically heavy lift her on top of a massive cargo ship. These are custom jobs. So I had to, I had to book the trip about 18 months ahead okay sign a very locked tight contract that basically no one can get out of because they were shipping this all the way from germany this massive cargo ship to heavy lift a 700 ton 65 meter cruiser and get to get to ho chi minh lift her up um, and I have all this on drone. You'll see in the coming weeks, I'm going to release the video. I'm going to show you how the whole journey was done. It's incredible, kind of a modern-day Fitzcarraldo. And ship her from Ho Chi Minh through down around South Africa and into Belen, Brazil. Because the only way to get to Iquitos is through Brazil. She got to Brazil about three weeks ago. She was put in the water there. Um, I sent 19 crew from Iquitos to Brazil by plane to take delivery over there. And that was 11,000 nautical miles, 32 days, a straight journey. Uh, I've got drones and everything to document it. And then in the water there, we filled up with fuel, Filled up all the provisions and then took a 2,000 nautical mile journey, basically crossing all of South America on its now own propulsion um, upriver. So that the current against us, which is about two to three knots of current, depending on the weather and the time of the year. And now she crossed the border three days ago. She did Belen, Manaus, Manaus, Leticia, Tabatinga and Iquitos. And she arrives to Iquitos tomorrow morning. After a whole 45-day journey, uh basically crossing the entire world where she'll arrive to her new home. So it was an incredible feat, but one that came off without a glitch.
1: Wow, and congratulations. That, That's huge.
0: Thank you, thank you. And that all with an incredible team that allowed me to launch the ship and finish the design uh, through an entire, you know, COVID environment and had to do it basically remotely with Zoom with Ho Chi Minh. So you wow,
1: buy. that is awesome. So when is it inaugurating for people that would want to go on it?
0: So then the, uh, uh, the Aria Amazon launches uh, and takes on guests December 18th. We've announced it about three weeks ago. <laughs> and the Aquanera has its inaugural voyage April 3rd, April 3rd. And she's beautiful I mean the design elements what we've done in the interiors really brings South American kind of a mixture of the inspiration was the Peruvian cultures co- colors of the Andes with the nature environment of the into the cabins as far as local materials that we've sourced globally to give you the sense of feel of Peruvian influence from the Portuguese era, the tiles in the bathroom are kind of Portuguese azulejos influenced. So really an incredible dining venue for Pedro Miguel to sort of deliver his masterpieces. So really from every sense of, from the palate all the way to all sensory um, aspects, the guests will be, I think, blown away.
1: That's great. Let's talk about Pedro Miguel because we haven't. I think the, the cuisine on board is really something special because you I think lunch, I kind of remember being more identifiable in terms of Western cuisine, but so many exotic ingredients, fish, Everything flowers. The- I mean, it, just so many different products in the Amazon and such a great way. Every night is like a Michelin star dinner. So let's talk about Pedro Miguel, how you guys met, how he's been on the project since the beginning. You know, for everybody listening, Pedro Miguel Gif, you know, he's the foremost authority on Amazonian cuisine and jungle cuisine in Peru. He has several restaurants in Lima, Malabar. I think Amaz was his bar. Is right. that right? Yeah. Yeah. And and he's been with Aqua since the beginning. And so I would say the dining at night was fantastic. And just really, once again, you're connecting to the place because food is, is so telling where you are. So let's talk yeah. about the food.
0: Well, I know it's a big passion of yours. It's definitely a passion. <laughs> and, and, and the wine. <laughs> and, and, and Yeah, and the wine. And and at the top of the list for all our guests, right? Um, obviously, uh, go to Peru and have a, a bad dining experience would be just detrimental to everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> It's a given, obviously, that today in Peru, from every corner stand to basically any restaurant in Lima, we're, we're talking at, at a level of palate experience that's second to none in the world today. Uh, so it's, it's hard to have a bad meal in Peru in general. But I wanted to make sure that that was at the forefront of everything we do, with just as much as the design and the guest experience off the ship. Back on board, yeah, we wanted to kind of, how do we mix this blend of Peruvian, uh, you know, benefit from the fact of this booming culinary scene that has been now, Peru's been riding on for the last 15, 20 years. Um, and Pedro not only has become a very close friend, but an incredible advocate for Peruvian dining scene globally. And yes, he's been uh, considered and is considered one of the kind of top names, pushing the envelope of bringing products to market that very few people know from the Amazon. And there's still so much to to be brought to market and the pure logistics of bringing it is what he's obviously focused on with this new project called Dispensa Amazonica, which is trying to bring products to market. And whilst the dining scene on the boat isn't 100% Amazon-focused, obviously, how can you come to Peru and not have dining from the coast to the Andes to the Amazon? So we do a nice blend of that. And dining on board is not your fine kind of tasting menu. We want you know family-style kind of dining uh, experiences, both for lunch and dinner. But we and we try to bring in the influence. So the dining concept of, of the Aqua Expeditions experience is that you try to have a day that you have the Peruvian influence from the Japanese and how Nobu put put Peru on the on the map. You know, very few people maybe know that, whilst yeah. they know that. Nobu put Peruvian scene, uh, the Peruvian dining scene on the map with the ceviches and tiraditos, so the Gastonacurio, and so did so many chefs today. So to bring all those different influences to so the Chinese influence, the Korean influence, the Italian influence into the Peruvian scene, we do that, I think, quite well. And then we let Pedro also innovate in that space to bring – Fruits, uh, vegetables, beans, uh, breads, all types of yuccas, maniocs, all that stuff. And obviously, we have 300 types of fish in Amazon that we bring to market. Oh, yeah,
1: those are so good the fish. Arm-
0: the armored catfish broth is incredible. Um, so we have stuff like that that's that's really innovative. And he's done an incredible job of training our team. So even when he's not on board, which he does two, three times a year, he does these hosted trips our our dining staff on board is uh you wouldn't know the difference if he's on board or not besides his his warmth as an individual when you obviously miss him so it's been an incredible cooperation agreement uh, where he does on both ships um incredible dining menus they're both same menus on both ships it's a seven nine menu so no repeat every day is a different experience and, and it's also about logistics because getting these products to market is very, very difficult. And we actually facilitate that through some of the local suppliers that we worked over the years to make sure the cold chain is insured for some of the, our pie chair. Pie is our biggest... Oh, I lot.
1: love that. Oh, so amazing. It's a huge fish too. I mean, it's, it's, it is. it's, 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 it's enormous. It's an incredible
0: white filet that we bring to market with this conservation project of sustainable fishermen that were ex-poachers, now turned f- f- sustainable fishermen inside the reserve. All the work of Pedro on his team and our support and and now we're starting to help take it to market to restaurants in Lima. And obviously like you said, all paired mostly with um, with Chilean and Argentinian wines when I came down there and did my scouting trip years ago finding some vineyards there that we wanted to work with with some organic and bioorganic wines.
1: One of the things that I we've had at his restaurants a couple times in Lima that we first had on aqua was this fresh Chonta salad and most people have chonta guys is is hearts of palm but in the amazon you actually get a fresh heart of palm which is a really big i mean it's 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 i don't know it's <laughs> huge like a log and they shred it in a way that's almost like fettuccine like raw fettuccine. but they use the sachi inti oil which is like a seed from the amazon that has a very earthy taste and cashews I, it, like a lot of things seeds you don't even right. know And it was the most delicious, I mean, like, literally, I dreamt about that salad until I went to Malabar then and had it again, because that's like one of his signature things. And it's just an example of amazingness.
0: He's an incredible guy. I love him dearly. And really, it's been a perfect relationship of how we give him the space to innovate. We support him. I trust him entirely. He understands our audience.
1: Where are you eyeing, if we can know? what's Good on the radar after this whole thing that we can call 2020 uh c19 is behind us where are you guys eyeing next if i can ask
0: so as I mentioned before, typically on a normal year, I'd spend about four to six months of my year scouting new destinations in the world. That's my passion. I mean, I've done 16 safaris or 15 safaris in, in Africa, uh, not, be, not only because I love it, but I think because they're an incredible benchmark to obviously uh, innovating in our space, both uh, on the guest experience, and the wildlife experience and the guiding experience. Uh, so I'm always on the lookout. Uh, given the fact that our ships are so small that we do 15 to 20 cabins between 45 and, 50 and 60 meters, we can basically go anywhere. And we've got a five-foot draft in our river cruisers, and we've got small ships in our coastal cruisers. We can go call into any port in any bay, any any cove, any island. I mean, the Aqua Blue has an autonomy of three months of fuel. Um, so I, I brought her from Genoa to Singapore in one fuel tank. And we did 35 days last November between Singapore all the way West Papua, crossing all of eastern Indonesia. So we have the range capacity in our ships also to do incredible expeditions. Um, so you're not gonna get an answer out, a straight answer out <laughs> me, because I just launched that grenade, huh? I still gotta fill that one. And so, but I can tell you that my mind is obviously already on to the next one. Um, now when is that right time to announce it? Uh, soon, I think sometime in 2021, we'd like to be able to announce what we'll go into next. But these, like I said, are labors of love. Um, and, you know, there's, if you look at the world, you see that we're focusing on exotic rivers of the world, or, you know, incredible biosphere marine reserves, well, then, you know, you know that there's incredible places, there's incredible places in Southeast Asia, in in South America still, Um, and and it's got to make sense to our guests, it's got to be complementary to the destinations and experiences they've had, so someone said, okay, I've done South America, I want to do Southeast Asia, and after they do Southeast Asia, they want to do something that's just as exotic so you know i'm not giving you an answer but luckily that there's incredible places that my list keeps getting longer actually than shorter the difficulty actually is in not the building process sometimes the financing process that's why i moved to singapore because it's access to capital markets is heavy it's good because i'm i'm capital intensive but um the complexities is the legalities of operating in these countries now because you're inland water, you're coastal. And so you've got to have a lot of compliance aspects as far as flagging and local permits and stuff like that. And that's uh, many times some of my biggest challenges.
1: I can imagine. Well, OK, we'll leave it as a as a anticipation with bated, bated breath.
0: <laughs> back in six months.
1: OK, cool deal. We want to thank Francesco for sharing his passion and story. I find his drive and relentless pursuit of excellence so inspiring. Just so you know, tomorrow, December 18th, Aqua officially sets sail again in the Amazon after many months of COVID restrictions. So yeah, for that. If you'd like to learn more about their voyages in the Amazon or in Asia on the Mekong and in East Indonesia, head to www.aquaexpeditions.com. And if you need a shot of wonderlust for your Instagram feed, you can also follow them at aqua underscore expeditions. Remember that you can see the full show notes on our website at www.lizkowski.com backslash podcast. And also remember to sign up for our weekly newsletter that not only announces the podcast into your inbox, but also shares fun stories and news too. Felices fiestas. Happy holidays, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, family member, coworker, or whoever could use some Wonderlust in their life right now. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. They're tremendously helpful, and we greatly appreciate it. For more inspiration and information on how to come travel with us in South America or bring South America into your home, visit our website at www.lizkansky.com and follow us on Instagram at LCCWE. See you guys next week. Hasta la próxima.